Finding the right pros for home projects can be tough and spark a lot of questions like, how do I find a pro who can help? Will they do a good job? Will I get a fair price? That's where HomeAdvisor can help. From leaky faucets to major remodels, HomeAdvisor connects you to the right pro for the job in seconds and even helps you get a fair price. Read reviews, check project cost guides, and book appointments. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free HomeAdvisor app to start your next project. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Wrestle Addict Radio Network. Radio Network. Hey, what's up, you guys? What is going on, everybody? What up, fam? Hey, it's me. What up, Ooses? What's up, guys? This is the Monday Night Delight. Are you looking for a network that brings you all things pro wrestling? Then look no further. Wrestle Addict Radio brings you a varied source of wrestling content. What's going on, guys? This is Willie T. My name is Mr. Press. This is your resident smart slayer. Search for Wrestle Addict Radio on all major podcast platforms and be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Buzz, buzz, guys. My name is Kate Murphy of the Kings of the Ring podcast and you are listening. And you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you are listening. Get ready for a war because you're listening. Come join the war each and every week as we fight to keep wrestling real. What's up, everybody? This is King Ricky Rose and you are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio. Radio, 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 radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Coda Jacobs, the crusader and visionary behind a brighter future in wrestling. If you're an honorable and noble public servant like myself, you are listening to the Game Changer Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this special edition of the Game Changer Podcast, where we remind you to let us in. I am indeed Nate the Epic Great, part of Wrestle Attic Radio. I am joined here by another member of Wrestle Attic Radio, the one, the only, the ever so. Ever so. No! 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 
Halloween by the time you hear this. Who cares? We're recording on Halloween. It is I, Spooky Mr. Fretz here. Just gave Nate the mandible claw, and I'm taking control of the Firefly Nate House. Yes, it is me. It is me. It is Mr. F-R-E-T-Z, and I just died a little inside pronouncing Z-Z, but because most of our audience is American, I will cater to your specific needs. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the legendary JF. And yeah, it's a interesting week in wrestling, although I've been spending a little bit more time actually since about midnight playing Luigi's Mansion 3. But since it's All Hallows Eve or Reformation Day, whatever you want to call October 31st, apropos. Hey, fair enough. So, happy belated Halloween for a lot of people, but for today, for the day that this comes out, uh, happy Wrestling Hub nomination day. So, hooray for those of those that got nominated. If we were one of them, hooray. If not, bollocks. But for those of you that definitely do get the nomination, definitely major nod from all of us here at the Game Changer Podcast. Uh, sure, also from the WrestleAttic Radio Network family as well. But we'll get more into that, I think, for the following episode where we talk about the nomination list. But we're not here to talk about that just yet because that's just on the horizon. Of course, as Fretch mentioned, it's another weird week of wrestling. Honestly, I wanted to talk a little bit briefly about SmackDown Live this past week. Mainly the whole deal that happened between uh, Rey Mysterio, Cain Velasquez, Brock Lesnar, and Dominic. So once again, Brock doesn't give a shit about kids. Beats down on Dominic. Then we see them in the training room where, for a while, it definitely did seem like the whole deal where the doctor was saying, like, oh, give him space, give him space. That just went on a little too long. Out comes Brock Lesnar, who comes in with a trash can, beats down Cain Velasquez uh, and Rey Mysterio, and he lo- he grabs Rey Mysterio for the F5 and lawn darts him into the wall with that F5. Then he picks up Cain Velasquez, F5s him onto Dominic, which is honestly the first time I think I've seen... Brock Lesnar F5 somebody onto another person. So I, I'm sorry, I was wigging out at that moment. I thought that was very cool. Um, something I'd never really seen, but is it enough to keep me excited for the Crown Jewel event, which is probably happening very soon. Uh, and I will tell you this, that we don't much care for it, but we will go on this little side note here. Uh, major props as well as congratulations go out to Lacey Evans and Natalia for being the first women's matchup since the Saudi Arabia agreement has been uh, confirmed. So, even though there's probably a lot of us that would have preferred other people to take those spots, cannot deny this is a bit of a historic deal. And this is, I wouldn't really see a huge step forward, but it's definitely one of those things that it is something I don't think we were expecting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought we could have had something because I think it was either... Uh, Super Showdown or last year's Crown Fool, where um, Renee Young was commentating. Oh, that's right. So I, I thought I thought we were going to see something historic in you know women's well at least women's wrestling over there because I'll get into it here. We have something very historic coming up for women's wrestling in America in the month of November, and uh, yeah, I won't get there quite yet. But I think yeah, Natty and uh, the sassy Southern Belle, uh, I think they're, they're fine choices. I mean, some people, but what about Sasha and Bailey? Well, 
who cares? It's a women's match in Saudi Arabia. It's a progressive step forward in, well, I'm, I'm going to tiptoe around this in a not-so-progressive country. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, that is neither here nor there. Shout out Dusty Dave. That's our, that's our one for the show. But I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, I think TNA did something like this, like, 10 years ago, not 10 years ago, but they had a women's match over there. They are all, well, of course, they had to be all dressed up in full body suits because modesty. Right. But, hey, you know what? I'm all for it. Natty, can, Natty is a veteran. She can carry Lacey through this. They put on okay matches. Yeah, cool. I think that's, like you said, we probably would have preferred somebody else to take the spot. But at the same time, it is very huge that they got women on here, period. So, I'm not going to nitpick about it. I'm not going to go all crazy about it. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know what? It's happening. It's fine. I'm not going to. I'm not going to really, you know, shout too much on it. Uh, question of: Are we going to do predictions for Crown Jewel? <laughs> Let me reply by saying, hell no. Uh, this is another one of those events I just do not care about. Uh, even if people are saying like, "What? Well, it's going to feature the Fiend and Rollins, where the match can't be stopped." Again, had they not had that dumb finish at the end of Hell in the Cell then we wouldn't have to have that stupid stipulation to begin with. Um, they could just say, I'm, I'm sorry, they could just say something like Last Man Standing or see, the match cannot be stopped for any reason. I'm like, and now I think the whole wrestling world, I think, is kind of poking fun at this now because uh, Cody and uh, Jericho's title match is 60-minute time limit and it's going to have judges at ringside, so there's going to be a dusty finish, and apropos, because Dusty's kid, uh, yeah, there's there, there's still a sour taste in my mouth about that whole deal. If I could say one thing, somehow Seth is going to walk out with the title. If it's, the match can't be stopped, it's going to still be going on on the airplane home. Yeah. And someone's going to get pinned while they're sleeping like Jinder Mahal in the 24-7 title. <laughs> hey, at least that was funny. So, this is there's nothing funny when we talk about this whole deal with Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt. Um, honestly, I, do, I will say this. I'm one of those few people to believe that, you know... Um, shoot, what was I going to say? Oh, um, brand split be damned. I would much rather see Bray Wyatt walking out with the title... Even though some people are just saying, well, he just came back and this new character is not really doing that. It's like, so what? He's still doing a lot more than Brock Lesnar is. I'm sorry, but so many people could say, well, it was a great move that Brock Lesnar's coming back and he's quote-unquote full-time now. It's like, well, he hasn't really done that many matches except for his match with Kofi. And I will, I will also say this. I love the fact that people have been putting this deal into our heads that this is going to build up to a heel turn by Kofi Kingston. And there's been a lot of these little nit deals, there's going to be like a lot of these little spots here and there where Kofi's going to seem either angry or agitated, and they haven't really even mentioned the fact that, oh, he lost the title. It's like, it is weird that they do that, but at least they're doing these little details where it's like, okay, obviously he's still upset about that, because this was something that he worked so many years for, 11 years, to get to the spot. You don't just get over that overnight. You really don't. So, this is going to build up, this is going to brew. I like, I want to see where this is going. It's going to be interesting. Uh, some people are saying he'll 
heel Kofi, which honestly might be a bit of a good changeup for him. Yeah, I'm not sure if I see that now that Xavier Woods is on the shelf. An Achilles injury, oh, that's so unfortunate, but it's going to give him a lot of time to stream up, up, down, down, and do a lot of content with there. So if you're a big Woods fan like me, and a big gamer like me, well, that's that's fun there. But I always thought that Big E was going to be the one. But with the New Day, well, the New Day only being Big E and Kofi, I, I'm not so sure. But then if there's a heel turn with one of them, and like a year down the line when when Xavier is actually cleared, he'll come back in and be like, you know, stuck in the middle with you. Like, dude, what the hell's going on? Right. It'll be, yeah. So, well, it was- I, I am in, I am intrigued. I want to see Kofi kind of. Kofi's kind of the character that has never been healed. I, I don't think. He, no, New Day started out as healed, but then they just got too good of reactions and became baby faces by default. Uh, gee, I wonder how they can do that with someone else right now or reversed. Uh, kind of like how we'll, we'll get into it here. It's like Finn Balor. We didn't think this guy would ever be a heel, but listen to his promo last night. Damn, he's good. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it is kind of interesting because uh, they had this whole deal and uh, after SmackDown. They presented this new thing called WWE Backstage where it's hosted by Renee Young, Booker T, Christian, and Paige. Four of them talk about things that happened throughout the entire week of WWE. And you know they did bring up the whole Finn Balor deal. In fact, Finn Balor was a guest on their uh, pre-show. Because I guess it officially went to uh, Tuesdays this past week, if I'm not mistaken. They're trying to make this into a, like a legitimate show, so that's really cool to see. Love Renee Young. I think that having Christian and Paige in there, adding that you know, kind of like you know, wrestling knowledge in there was going to be great. Booker T, wrestling knowledge, but also he's just got some funny stuff to say. Uh, two things that came out of that one was, of course, a, you know, the whole deal with Finn Balor, where he kind of does talk about how you know how the prince is back and he. Also, there was also references of all the guys from you know the club saying you know well 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 and you know hey it's good to see you back Prince and he even right referenced that he said that the Prince is back so it is kind of one of those things where it's like okay we're getting you know we're getting Prince Fergal we're getting Prince Devin on the uh, on on this deal do I think that he's going to change into you know that character no I think he's still going to be Finn Balor. But at the same time, I'm very interested in seeing where this goes from here. Honestly, oh gosh, we're, we're getting Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano at TakeOver. I'm calling that right now. Oh, that's just that's just a beautiful sight. That's just, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Oh, heck yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead here and reference his promo from last night as soon as I get it. Yeah, he just said, you know, he referenced The Fiend, you know, kind of like how I said the other week that he let him in. He just said, yeah, I went from laying down for the hottest thing in wrestling with a mask into becoming the hottest thing himself. Or removing his own mask and becoming the hottest thing himself. Like, I don't watch the business, the business watches me. Mic drop. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is a lot, of, that is some deep stuff. and That's really cool to see that. I'm going to have to watch and, that whole entire Finn Balor promo now just to really let that all sink in because cause he, he is good on the mic. It's just a matter 
of having him have the right character and the right people, you know, letting him have creative freedom. Obviously, when he was on the roster, eh, not so much. But now when he's on the XT, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, the big man, the man of uh, three H's, um, I got, I got, got new nails on myself, going to put up the shelf because I'm a dad. Sorry, that's an Adam Blompier reference. Shout out to Adam Blompier. We love you, dude. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those situations where, you know, it's really cool to see that where Finn Balor can actually be, you know, himself and not have too much of the way of, you know, repercussions, not have too many ways of people saying like, oh, we want you to have this, but we also want you to incorporate this. It's like, no, let, let him be him. Let him do what comes naturally. Don't force anything because that's just stupid. Speaking of stupid, another cringeworthy deal on Raw that took place where we had, it's a King's Court, we had Divorce Court. Oh. <laughs> yep. They take my pills, this is my vitamins, folks, I'm just getting ready. Alright, so basically we have this deal where Rusev and Lana are on the King's Court, the quote-unquote Divorce Court, where they're basically airing out their grievances to the entire world, because why not, that's always worked with, you know, Divorce Courts on TV, where you would think that maybe it's something that people could relate to. Maybe it's something where it's like, oh, well, you know, he wasn't paying too much attention to me or she was not being loyal to me or something like that. Uh, what do we get out of this? The fact that Lana is a bit of a gold digger, in my opinion. She hates the fact that Rusev is a sex addict, which I remember us making so many jokes about that. I think I think you were the one that made the comment where it was like, man, imagine them having the fun time on the tank. Be like, dude, if that if there's a story that literally surfaces about that, I will literally call Rusev my favorite of all time. Uh, there has not been a sur- story that surfaced about that, so the whole him being my favorite is going to be put on hold for a while. But then there's a deal where Lana accuses Rusev of cheating on hit her, which. I find that hard to believe. It's one of those things where, you know, they built them up like they love each other so much. Why would Rusev want to just, you know, cheat on Lana and stuff like that? And from what, what it's, well, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of look at where everything is going. In all honesty, it's Lana who's causing more of the problems than Rusev. What a shock. It's like it happened in real life. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just look at reports from a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That was a thing. So, it is one of those situations where Lana is the is the heelish deal when it came to this, and she's got yo know, Lashley there. Which honestly, I will say this for her claim that Rusev is a sex addict. There's a lot of weird like sexual deals that go on between Lashley and Lana. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, wait, you're complaining about him being a sex machine, and you're basically getting the same thing with Lashley and you're not complaining about that at all. Oh, okay. I see where this is going. I see how this makes sense. <clears throat> but this ended with Lashley coming out, Rusev and him having a battle. Uh, Rusev actually took off his wedding ring and jammed it into Lashley's uh, gullet. And, you know, you think like, oh, this, this actually seemed like it worked. And people were actually getting behind it. Up until we see Lana hitting the kendo stick. Now, my issue with this is not that she hit him with the kendo stick, but she hit him with the wrong end of the kendo stick. Because you wouldn't think that the the little white thing that's t- taped around the end of it 
people would be smart enough to realize, oh, hey, this is where I take my hands. They get the brunt of the, you know, the bamboo stick, whatever the hell it is. No, she takes the other end of it and starts whacking away on Rusev. Rusev, who is just no-selling for obvious reasons. I mean, I, it's one of those things where it's like, you know what, I accept this because he's probably getting the softer end of the stick. Okay, obviously out of context that sounds very wrong, but whatever. Um, we, see, we see Rusev and Lana have a stare down. Lashley gets a low blow. Lashley beats him down. Then they have the deal where Lana and Lashley do a grotesque make-out session where they're basically trying to eat each other's faces. So, I don't know who exactly was in the chat that said that, you know, said this, but they said that, you know, even though this was cringeworthy, it still has me interested in seeing what happens next. It is kind of one of those things where it's like scary movie, where it's like, yeah, you know it's bad, but it's so entertaining, you kind of are hooked to see what's going on. I don't think that it's entertaining to the point, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, where does this go next? Is this just going to be a situation where we're going to get a build-up between Rusev and Lashley for a headline pay-per-view, which honestly, I'd be okay with that because I think these guys could put on a pretty good matchup. But I think just the storylines and the circumstances that are creating this are just really dumb. But I don't know. What are your thoughts about the whole divorce court deal, Mr. Fretz? And does this storyline hold any bit of interest on your end? Absolutely not. I mean, I I tapped out. I mean, I wasn't finding a lot of joy in anything I was watching Monday night. Uh, the hockey game was on as well, and the Leafs friggin' dank up the joint. Uh, then I turned on Rob. There's a few good moments in matches. I can't I can't remember for the life of me what else happened on Raw other than like AJ and Umberto, which damn good match. Uh, Umberto Dimples and this whole divorce court thing. Um, I'm going to be kind of quoting uh, John Ritland and the Durbinator here. Shout out to those guys. They do reviews every well, basically every show, and then John kind of does, you know, the odd movie here and there. Uh, some of their humor might not be for everybody, so I'm gonna put it out, put it out, put it out right there. And he's gonna watch Crown Jewel, so we don't have to. So I can just listen to his review of it tonight after work. Um, he's just like, they're like a guy telling a girl that their spouse is cheating on them, and then they go and bang that person. This is how human beings behave. So, in a way, that's why that's relatable. I see. I think I brought it up in the chat way at like a day or two after. But I remember Mark Henry had a sex addict gimmick. That was the whole basis for sexual chocolate, and we loved it because, well, Mark could deliver with it. I mean, he was funny, although some of the humor and storylines we found in it back then do not float today. Uh, case in point, transphobia. I think we actually talked about this at one of the old pay-per-views. Uh, but, you know, it, it's Mark. He could deliver. Like Lashley is as wooden as it gets, and not that, not that kind of wooden. Um, but... No, I, I, I only watched excerpts from this, so like I'm just I'm I'm drawing a total blank. I I don't care where this goes. I mean I thought divorce court was just kinda of be the be all end all the 
end of this, and then, okay, now they're going to have a match. Uh, Lana on a pole match, not that kind of pole. Man, I can't walk away with this without a terrible <laughs> joke. Lana on a, in an Enzo cage above the ring. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, Rusev and Lashley, I think, put on a good match, but... I gotta shout out Face Palm Club here and just do a do a giant ass face palm for that. Uh, it, it was painful. Hi Kayla, Rachel, Slack, Wade, uh, anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> anybody else who's a part of this whole Face Palm Club deal, which we still are trying, which I'm still trying to make official. I do really want this to be a thing that um, that, that I want to be posted on a T-shirt, even if it's like a little you know generic one for the time being. Just to have that, it, it just needs to be a reality. And if we can get a point where, like, uh, everybody can just take a picture with the shirts on, doing face palms, that just, I think that would just make things great. But, you know, if not by the end of the year, 2020, we're definitely getting a face palm t-shirt going. So, those of you that are going to be... Face palm Imperium. Yes. Oh, that'd be awesome. Some really good ideas. We got them all here on the Game Changer Podcast. So, guys... We're going to take a little short break from all the disappointment that happened with WWE. We'll talk about some exciting stuff for uh, AW as well as NXT. And also, we are doing another classic review, you guys. And the Wayback When Machine is making a comeback. It's going to be very interesting because it's covering probably one of the most controversial years of 1997. We'll talk more in depth about that in just a bit, you guys. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Nate the Up and Great. Hey, have you ever wanted to be a champion but can't seem to really find the money and the time to get a championship belt? Well, you know who's a really good friend of mine? AJ from AJsBelts.com. These guys have a large assortment of championship belts, from classic belts to the modern day belts to championship belts you would not even believe. And guys, like I said, they work with you very well. With an awesome layaway program, there is no way that you can beat these guys' prices as well that these guys' deals, especially when you can give them a little bit of money every now and then until you can get that championship gold. Coming from a guy who's a champion and a game changer, I'm Dean Nate the Effing Great, and I'm representing AJsBelts.com, proud friends of the Game Changer Podcast. Good morning, Ooses. It's DFTC, Jeff Pamatrio, the host of Not Your Mama's Soap Opera, and you are listening to the Game Changer Podcast exclusively on Wrestle Addicts Radio. I will delete you! Universe confirmed for AEW. Welcome back to the Game Changer Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. A part of Wrestle Act Radio, of course. Gotta always do a shout out to our boys, everybody over at the Wrestle Attic Radio Nation. Of 
course, the Kings of the Ring podcast, the Gift of Podcast, Nacho Mama Soap Opera podcast, and the Fourth Wall Wrestlecast. Definitely check them out, you guys. They are great quality workers, and they do a fantastic job of keeping wrestling real, along with us here on the Game Changer Podcast. So, actually, I want to bring something up before we talk about uh, AEW. So, Brett, are you kind of familiar with all the drama that's kind of going on with the Hardy household? Well, mainly Twitter drama. I mean, that's that's where it has to be at this point. Isn't uh, Jeff Hardy's substance problems? Yeah. Um, for those of you that are not sure of what we're actually referring to is the fact that, <clears throat> of course, recently we just... Uh, actually, this was actually a while back. I think that this is what... Yeah, this had to have been like maybe a week or two ago. Uh, Jeff Hardy was caught on TMZ. With a DUI, they've already reported this out, and Matt Hardy decided to be a good brother and basically talk about how he's going to be caring about his family, but he's also wishing nothing but the best for his brother to get the right help and to, you know, to, you know, to, to get better to battle this abuse. Uh, <clears throat> Jeff Hardy's wife decided to chime in, basically stating that it was none of Matt Hardy's business and that. You know, she just they just need to back off, that they need to, you know, not get some kind of attention deal, blah, blah, blah. Basically, just just not being very respectful when it came to Matt Hardy. Oh, but boy, howdy, does it get good, ladies and gentlemen, because who else should chime in on this situation? Why, none other than Matt Hardy's wife, Rebby, who is a legend on Twitter. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, my God, she has probably one of the most colorful dictionaries, but also... Some of the most interesting tweets that you will ever see. Hashtag fuck the owl. Um, <laughs> so Rebby basically tears down Jeff Hardy's uh, wife, also mentioning the fact that, hey, I've been through what you've been through with Matt. And it definitely is one of those stories that is so heart wrenching, especially when you hear the, I think it was either. Um, I think it had to be. I think it was the. It was a chronicle story that WWE did, where they had the sit down interview where they were talking about how Matt Hardy was going through all these issues, and basically, uh, Rebby gave him the option and said, "You know, you either get better or we're gone," and that gave him the inspiration to get better. Uh, of course, obviously, after he got better, after he sobered up, we got the reunion of the Hardy Boys. And then the broken universe and everything like that. And Matt's still been very successful, even as as of late. You think of Matt Hardy, you think of the whole broken slash woken gimmick. It's one of the greatest gimmicks of all time. Fight me on that, I dare you. And, you know, every now and then, Rebby will have just these times where she'll chime in on Twitter. But for this deal, she basically said that, you know, she knows that, you know, she doesn't know how things work with your side of the family, Mrs. Hardy, but on our, our side, we actually sh- care for each other. We don't need to get attention for anything. We actually are there there for each other, and that you know, family is closer than your so-called family because basically it is a situation where I can't really do it too much justice. But at the same time, it is literally one of those things where you can just basically sum up like this, and you'll be all caught up with this. So my thoughts on this are that Rebby is 100% in the right. Uh, 
Matt and Jeff have known each other a lot longer than I think the name is uh, Beth Hardy, who is Jeff Hardy's wife. Uh, has known her. She may think that she knows you know Jeff Hardy better than anybody. Uh, you can make that claim, except when you're battling against Matt. Matt has you beat. So maybe Rebby went a little overboard with the whole you know grabbing the attention and stuff like that. But at the same time, she's not wrong. If you're gonna call Matt Hardy for you know just getting attention or shit like that, you're kind of bringing that attention on yourself. So I'm in the right. I am all on the Rebby train when it comes down to it, and it's one of those things where it is relatable because there's so many people that are just saying, well, this is our family. You don't get to have a say in it, even if you are family. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Family knows better better than family, okay? So this is basically where I'm going to end it off before I pass it over to you, Mr. Fret, is that, I w- that we wish nothing but the best for Jeff Hardy. We would love for him to get better, and he is hopefully getting on the right path of being, of get, you know, becoming a better person and getting completely sober. I know we've had to deal with the rough side of Jeff Hardy over these last few years, whether it has been with alcohol, with drugs. God, we don't need to relive Victory Road, but a very a sober Jeff is a, is the best Jeff of all time, and a healthy Jeff is the best of all time and it's just one of those things where you know he needs to do these things better he needs to get better he can't put any people's lives in danger unfortunately we've had situations in the past where superstars have you know been intoxicated and have gone on the road and what ends up happening they end up putting people's lives in danger so it's one of those situations where we can't have that happen here and Jeff needs to get better so wishing you nothing but the best Jeff Please get the help that you need to fight this, and we're all here for, to support you. I, I have no opinion on the whole wife drama thing. I keep, I keep out of that, but I'll just say that, you know, brothers, you know, they, they know each other better than a man and a wife. So uh, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. And then Jeff, like, I... I hope and pray he gets better himself. Uh, you know, addiction is, it's a life, it's a disease. I mean, it's a lifelong struggle. I have, like, I have a friend who's been going through some, some programs and, you know, you know, knock on wood, so far they're doing fine. Uh, but it's, it, it's a constant struggle. It, so yeah, Jeff, get better and, I would love to see him back in the ring again, get another another run with the Hardys or, or even a little bit of a broken, woken thing going on as well. So Bring back Brother Nero. Or honestly, they, it seemed like they were planning on having him in the main event title picture again, which honestly, I'd be okay with that. Um, just got to find, you know, he's just got to get his life back together and we'll have, you know, the Jeff Hardy that we believed in to win the WWE title and the World Heavyweight title. Bring back that Jeff Hardy. All right, so we go from that to Wednesday Night Wars. Now, for me, unfortunately, there was a lot of things that were going on throughout this week, and I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the stuff with uh, AW and NXT. Uh, but I will say that I do know the results of what happened with uh, AEW this past week, and one thing that is for sure is that Champions in AEW 
very heavily heel base, and I'll explain why I say that in just a bit. But we have new tag team champions. The first ever tag team champions of AEW have been crowned. It is three letters S C U. SoCal <laughs> SoCal Uncensored has been crowned the champions. They defeated the Lucha Bros in the finals. They are indeed the tag team champions. And this is going to be one of those situations where we could see uh, when Daniels makes a comeback, could see him being a part of this and definitely getting revenge on Pentagon. Oh, gosh. Penta- Pentagon Jr. versus Daniels one-on-one is just a match I would pay to see. If they put that on pay-per-view, I'd be like, here's all my money. Just just take it. Um, but, yeah, you kind of look at AEW, and it, it seems like, you know, while NXT kind of falls under the same category, with, with uh, NXT, they have more a fully-fledged heel uh, champion role. They have, you know, Undisputed Era holding the North American, the tag team titles, and the NXT title, while Shayna Baszler holds on to the NXT women's title. Uh, with AEW, they have a little more variety for it. I think that gives them a little bit more of an edge here because of the fact that there is still a strong babyface representing the company, and that being Rio as the women's champion. You, of course, have Chris Jericho, who is the uh, El, Champion, El Campeon, doing a very awesome job. A little bit of the bubbly. I had to throw that out there. And now you have SCU, who honestly, while they're getting good reactions, they, I still believe, are considered heel, in my opinion. Now, some people might disagree and say they're kind of more tweeners, but in a world of wrestling, I try to differentiate between the old heels and baby faces. And, and uh, you know, Daniels, Kazarian, and Scorpio are definitely more towards the heel side of things. Yes, they can have fun, they can be interactive, but at the same time, they're still kind of the quote-unquote bad guys for this. Although... There is one team in particular that Mr. Fred's actually pointed out to me that could, in fact, uh, combat the whole heel deal, and that being LAX, Santana, and Ortiz, who did some pretty bad things this past Wednesday. They decided, hey, Rock and Roll Express, we're going to beat you down. You're a bunch of old guys? Oh, we don't care. So we have that. They're getting nuclear here. They are getting the best heat around. In NXT, I think honestly, they keep this up. They're going to be more heels and they're going to be booed more than MJF. I don't know. I think it's going to be really crazy to see. Uh, they also had a contract signing between Cody and Jericho, which I really want to see now. Damn it all. But, it uh, was fun. Uh, it was really, really fun. And back to the, the Rock and Roll Express, they came out with the ACW tag team titles. Is that your ACW in Wisconsin? Uh,. Well, do they come with ACW titles? Um, that's interesting because when they faced off against the um, against Famous Trash, they won by DQ. So unless they're doing like an angle where they are holding those tag titles, are are you sure it was the ACW titles or the NWA tag titles? Because I know that they won the tag they won a tag team titles in different promotion. Uh, they, they, they came out with with tag team. They weren't NWA. It looked like it said ACW or GCW or something like. I think GCW sounds. But I'm going to look. I'm going to look it up right now okay. as we go. But that beatdown, those boys are like my dad's age, and they can still take a like a really severe beating. Like they they put Ricky Morton through the stage. Jesus, man. 
I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, there are some people that can reach that age and can still take an impressive amount of punishment, even though that's probably going to keep them in their beds for about, I'd say, a week or two, maybe a month, but maybe they're, they're at the point where their bodies are so, uh, maybe, maybe they're so well fit that they're, you know, maybe they're still able to recover as well as the next person, but you'd think that, you know, the older you get, the slower your body recuperates, especially if you're going, you know, what, you know, one match after another after another, but did you get a idea? I, I was mistaken. It was actually the friggin' AEW tag titles oh. they came out with. My, my lord, I, I just got my, my new prescription for my glasses. I gotta go back, but I just read <laughs> here, uh, shout out to, I don't know this person, but Silly Robo Zombie on Twitter said, for those of you who don't know, LAX wrestled the Rock and Roll Express last WrestleMania weekend in Jersey, and it was one of the best tag matches of the year so far. Wow. I'll take that match. <laughs> That's pretty good. Ooh, baby. I mean, Ricky Morton can do a Canadian Destroyer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's that's a, that's a very impressive. That is very impressive. Um, I'm trying to think of like some other crazy things that were taking place in AEW that I thought stood out to me. Uh, nothing too crazy, but uh, we got to talk about the NXT side. Um, honestly, Fretz... How did NXT do this week? Because I know last week they definitely were very heavily uh, heavily favored over AEW. But how did they do this week compared to last week? Uh, it, the same for me, at least. Uh, I, I, I didn't watch both shows entirely. I just I would start watching a bit, then kind of skip ahead just to see what would happen. Uh, Sammy Guevara had a really good match with um, oh, oh, Bloody Hell. What? Hangman Page. Yeah, well, that was a great, great match. Uh, then there was a bit with uh, during the contract signing uh, where they got where they jumped Dustin, uh, like Jake Hager jumped Dustin and all that. So that, that that was all good. But we started off NXT with Io Shirai defeating Candice LeRae, and I don't know if this was a no DQ match or something, but there was a chair involved in this match. Maybe it was just uh, they brought it in the ring and didn't get to use it. But uh, Lorraine got her nose busted open and uh, Lorraine countered Shirai's moonsault with the knees. Uh, they did a submission. There was a rope break. Uh, a steel chair came into the match and then Lorraine was going to hit the, the, the lion salt with Shirai on top of the chair. But, oh, no. She lion salted the chair and got pinned. And then there was a big, uh, big Ray Ripley. I think someone came in and Ray Ripley came to the match to save Candace. Next up, we had Fit. I already referenced the Finn Balor promo, but you know I don't watch the business. The business watches me. And then he promised to send Gargano back to the hospital and says, "I'm going to turn him from Johnny Wrestling to Johnny Watches Wrestling." Just um, great, great promo. I never saw uh, Prince Devitt's heel run in New Japan, but I'm liking what I what I got out of Finn so far. Like he came out to the ring, and like it was just nothing but dark. The spotlight was on him, and he did one like 
with his, you know, arm raised with the theme. Maybe then the crowd kept doing it, and he's not doing it. I thought he teased it a couple of times. But, uh, and we had Bronson Reed versus Shane Thorne, two of uh, NXT's uh, Aussies, and like that, like those fans at WrestleMania X7, there was an Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi chant, and this was a just a stiff AF match. They were going back and forth, hitting hitting all these moves. Uh, Shane Thorne kept kicking him and kneeing him. Um, uh, he threw he threw Thorne off the top rope when he attempted a hurricanrana. Bronson Reed hits a top rope splash for a, for a win, and Bronson Reed's reminding me a lot of a young Fatu or a young uh, Coquina Maximus, aka Yokozuna, like before he was massive. Yokozuna, like Coquina Maximus. I mean, his stuff in the late eighties in the NWA, he was agile. I mean, he was uh, he was as big as Rikishi was in two thousand, like. Yokozuna was. He was quick. Uh, with women's tag team match with the Kabuki Warriors going up against uh, Team Kick, the Kabuki Warriors retained. Uh, this was a long... I didn't watch this entire match. It was really long, but it was very good. Like These four can put on a great match. Oh, oh uh, I, us, I definitely do want to mention this before we get too deep into this. Um, one thing I did enjoy about the uh, this, past, this past Monday was the uh, Kabuki Warriors page segment where yes. you know, where Paige is basically trying to you know, talk. Kabuki Warriors are basically just not even allowing it. And then Oscar sprays uh, Paige in the face with the mist, which would allow Becky Lynch to come back. And there's been rumors escalating that this might be an indicator that they're going to have Paige return to the ring. Um, we'll see about that. Because I know that with, you know, uh, Champa. I watched a bit of his uh, his chronicle that I think yeah it was it what no it was um it was, it was his black hearts uh, deal where he talks about the surgery and everything like that I don't know if Paige had the same you know surgery as Champa where she can come back I just know that when it comes to neck injuries they're always very very tricky to say the least because we honestly thought that we were going to have Edge in the, you know, edge wrestling for a couple of years, but it turned out to be, well, actually, uh, see, the neck injury happened around 2002, and he wrestled until 27, I think it was, so that was around 2001, okay, but, okay, so the, the, point, the point is, you know, sometimes they can last a long time, but at the same time, with the neck injuries like that, you still have to go in for, you know, therapies and maybe even possibly for like you know continuous surgeries like Kurt Angle I think he had at least three neck surgeries after he had that deal in 1996 so you know that that's the big, big thing right now is that you know do you want to risk you know going through all that trauma again or do you want to live a happy life happy and healthy life and still be able to you know have kids and be able to you know walk them I remember uh Kurt Angle during during a documentary, I think before WrestleMania nineteen, was saying that you know he wants to be able to you know play with his daughter. He still wants to be able to you know walk walk with her, do these things with her. So that's kind of one of those things where you know, especially if they want kids, do you feel comfortable taking that risk? 
of you know to have of possibly ending up in a wheelchair. I don't know if I could do that. I think that's why I respect Edge so much for you know taking the time, you know, taking the chance to retire when he did. Still, so many people are like, "Oh, he's coming back to return." It's like I don't believe that. It's I think he's really happy with where he's at right now. I think he's doing a fantastic job with what he's done, and he creates a lot of great moments. I think the whole, I think the most recent one was him and Becky Lynch in the ring, where he's trying to basically talk her down and basically say, you know, yeah, I've been in your shoes, I've had all this success, but it means nothing if you don't have anybody to share it with. And Becky makes that comment where she just says, "Get the hell out of my ring and don't hurt your neck on the way out." It's like, ooh. That's 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 a that's a dark deal. That's that's rough, but that get, that gets her being the badass, I guess. Um, so so basically, what I'm getting out of this is that you know, Paige coming back, we'll see what happens. I just don't want to see her ending up in a in, in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. That would just suck. And I'm hoping that Champa still has a couple more years left in him, but I also want him to be safe because. Oh my God! Does he have the the cutest kid? That that that, that little that little kidlet is just absolutely adorable, and I would just hate to see him in a wheelchair playing with his kids. I, it's one of those things where it's like he's got a black heart, but he's got a golden heart with me. Damn it! Because he's got the most beautiful kid. She's adorable. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, neck and back injuries are. And surgeries, they are tricky. You know, I, I, I know from experience, uh, I know a guy I went to college with who had the exact same surgery as me, spinal fusion, steel rods, and uh, it's like it's like I I think him and I, like him and I and another guy, we were all going to church, crossing the street, I hit an icy patch, boom, flat on my back, oh. and I, I was in bed, I was only in bed for like a day and a half, like I called, I was working at this particular church, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not coming in today, so, you know, a couple of Tylenols, elevate the legs, ice up, and I was fine, and and Graham, he's old, my, this guy's like, he's like, uh, he's a foot taller than me, I'm 5'5", five five, he's about 6'6", six six. it's like, when, it was funny, when, he, when we were in college, it's like, he'd be standing at the stall having a piss, and it's like he could see me having the number two in the next stall. Dang. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he was like he was like Lurch, or no? We called. Well, he was kind of like the Lurch, or more like the the Eagle from Muppets. Oh, so, oh, Sam, Sam, yeah. Sam, yes, thank you. It, 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 yeah, he was very dry and very like matter of factly and very stern, if you will. Uh, Pleasant, pleasant guy. Uh, I haven't talked to him since college, but anyway, he'd be like, uh, "Friends, if I had that, I'd probably be back in surgery." Like, okay, fair enough. He's a very tall, very skinny, wanky, bony guy, so maybe that's also why. But spinal fusion—it's—it's it's tricky, no, no matter what. Like ed- edges had spinal stenosis. I think Seamus has spinal stenosis. Pages—it's—it's. It's, it varies from person to person. Like, when I had mine done, like, my doctor said, no contact sports for a year. You can do, like, non-contact easy sports after six months. And then after that, I basically have no restrictions. Like, you can be a stuntman, you can be a pro wrestler or whatever. So, uh, that's when I thought about getting into this until I realized how many flat pack bumps I'm taking. Like, nope. 
Yes, you did. Oh my god! And, it's just, and I don't think this is the only War Games match we're getting. Uh, going to, as as I go on here, and the, the crowd, as soon as Regal came out, the crowd knew. It's like they're like War Games, War Games, and the pop for women's War Games, and like uh, Beth Phoenix was marking out. It was it was awesome. So. In the past, in the Women's Revolution, we've had the first WrestleMania main event. We've had Hell in the Cell. We've had a TLC match, a ladder match, a cage match. Uh, War Games is just the next on the bucket list. I don't know what's... I don't know what's left. And it, since it, it was... So we have Io Shirai, uh, the Kabuki Warriors, Candice LeRae, Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, and uh, the the MMA, the MMA women. So I think it's a three. Fa- this one's going to be a three faction war games, okay. unless they're all going to coexist, like all the faces and all the heels. Although Bianca was acting a lot more heelish, just taking everybody out. Uh, next off, we had Cameron Grimes going up against Tyler Bate, and this was just another stiff. Uh, British style match. Tyler Bates, a big strong boy. Uh, you know, we were Grimes was trying to find ways to avoid the Tyler Driver ninety seven. There was a rolling kick. Uh, there was a Tope Cornholio, Cornholio, whatever that move is. <laughs> Cornholio. If you know what that is, people, uh, oh, people in my yeah. people in my age range, uh, fourth wall guys, you'll get that Cornholio. That that that's for you, Doc. Stop um, stealing fourth wall shit. We're already in trouble, and we're going to wrestling court because of you. Because <laughs> of me. Okay, 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 okay. okay. (laughs) I love how it's like, oh, wait, it was my idea. (laughs) Oh, oh, eh, oh, I have more planned. (laughs) Oh, God, we're going to be... 
it's good. It's literally going to be like we're we're going to be at the Wrestle Hub Awards. And it's like this is the final episode of the Game Changer Podcast because somebody decided to rip one of the guys' stuff. But you know something? Screw it. We're in a hypersensitive deal. I say let's do it. We'll, we'll rip off other people's stuff anyway. So nothing original anymore except for our stuff. It's always original. Hello. <laughs> um, hey, 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 I'm, th- I'm thinking of bringing back. Uh, Pro Talk Wrestling, because Tip of the Crown hasn't been a thing in a while, so... You know what? We definitely do need to do that. I think, to start off, we should probably do a situation where we pick, like, five, or... We'll do, like, three tweets each, and just pick the ones that we think should definitely be up for runs for this week, but... We'll do. We'll probably do that for uh, for next month, guys, so... I always I love, always love when we just stop a podcast and we're talking, like, hey, we should do this for the show now. <laughs> Maybe that's more my fault, but um, it, it shows you guys that, hey, this thing is real. That we're not just, you know, just doing, like, you know, gimmicks or stuff like that. We're just a real podcast having real conversations. But anyway, um, back to the, uh, back to Tyler Bates versus Grimes. Yeah, so we had uh, Killian Dane came in here and... Uh, Damn you, Dane. I think, it, yeah, distraction and uh, Grimes hit the cave-in. Uh, oh. Dane came in and attacked him after the match, so I guess we're getting a big strong boy versus Killian Dane. And now I want to see Tyler Bate do the airplane spin on him. It's going to happen. <laughs> uh, and it was the retribution for Pete Dunne. Uh, there was a cannonball outside to the to the steel steps. Uh, so we're getting, you know, Grimes got a clean win. And main event. Is this the main event? Yes. The Tag Team Championship was on the line with the Undisputed Era, or should I say Red Dragon, going up against the Limitless Bros, Keith Lee and Matt Riddle. Uh, bro of the bro of the show, shout out to Ant. Uh, so we had just the, uh, you know, Riddle, Riddle chants, and Spear and, we had a Spear and a Jackhammer, Kicks him in the back of the head, and bam! If anyone remembers oh. that from Ring of Honor, 
sick finisher. Uh, you have total elimination, no, total elimination on Riddle back in the ring, and then out, you know, Champa declares war. He come, he comes out, and uh, they uh, hit the final flash. Uh, Keith Keith Lee throws him out of the ring. Champa grabs the microphone, and Goldie's sitting there in the corner, and he's like staring at Goldie and says, "Goldie, you're gonna have to wait." Daddy's going to war. So, two war games matches potentially. <laughs> oh my god, yes. I'm, oh. tell, I'm telling you. That's what Now, this presumably we might be getting Metal Team Dream as the, the fourth. Maybe be like Champa. Okay, Gar- Gargano's getting his dollars. So we got Champa, Keith Lee, Matt Riddle. Maybe Double Team Dream, maybe Donovan Dijak. Either way, that's a win. I mean, NX, that, that was a top-notch NXT once again. I, I'm, I'm loving it. Oh, my God. I, I just still love the fact that literally we have a guy from Wisconsin, even though I think he's being built from Chicago, Illinois. No, I'm so, cause, no he's from Wisconsin. I'm still saying that right now. Um, literally using the phrase... Daddy, as much as he can, and it's not creepy. It's literally one of those things where it somehow fits. It works with him, and I love it. It's beautiful, and the fact that he refers to a title belt as his like as his baby, as you know the whole Goldie deal. Which oh gosh, it's just beautiful. Ah, just oh, I'm looking forward to that. I am so looking forward to that. Honestly. If this goes the way that you are staying, it goes where we see you know war games here. There's obviously going to be like an NXT takeover around maybe like rest, not Royal Rumble time, maybe Elimination Chamber, whichever one it is. Not Rumble. No Rumble's going to have uh, Worlds Collide. Oh, that's right. You're right. So uh, I'm telling oh, WrestleMania weekend. Actually, actually uh, NXT Takeover Miami. It's happening. Yeah, could see that. Honestly, it would be kind of a Crazy idea. Um, what if Champa? Well, that would be too. That would be too far fetched. I was gonna say, what if Champa wins world, when worlds collide and he chooses to face off against uh, Adam Cole and he chooses a takeover? And you know, between time Adam Cole could probably defend against like uh, Gargano again, or maybe Velveteen Dream. Ooh, ooh, Cole versus Dream would be a really good match. I'd be okay with that. Yep. Uh- Dreams, he's nursing his, uh, his injury is a shoot, so he's actually hurt, working through a back injury right now, so he's taking his his time off. Uh, m- maybe he's ready. When is, when is TakeOver? Is TakeOver, like, uh, I think it's the week, it's probably the week or two after uh, Full Gear. It's, it's the, I think it's the 16th would, would be TakeOver. I'm looking at my calendar here. No, it's, uh, it's, it's the uh, weekend before Thanksgiving is when... This take is when Takeover War Games is at twenty third. Okay, because so. yeah, because uh, you weirdos celebrate Thanksgiving in November. So <laughs> this is true. Hey, I may be a weirdo, but never mind. I got nothing. Uh, guys, we're we're gonna take a one final commercial break, and we come back. We're gonna create some havoc. Oh boy, it's gonna be some glorious, beautiful havoc. So stay tuned. We will be right back. 
What is up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is King Ricky Rose, your co-general manager of Wrestle Addict Radio and your host of Kings of the Rings podcast. And if you enjoy what you listen to each and every week here on Wrestle Addict Radio, we invite you to enjoy even more content from us on our exclusive Patreon page, where for just $5 a month, that's right, $5 a month, you get bonus content and commentary from each and every show here on Wrestle Attic Radio. That means bonus content from the Kings of the Rings podcast, from Not Your Mama Soap Opera, from 4 Wrestle WrestleCast, from the Gipta podcast, and from the Game Changer WrestleCast. So for $5 a month, go to patreon.com backslash Wrestle Attic Radio, sign up, you get exclusive content, exclusive access to us pretty much 24-7, and exclusive shows that can only be found and are exclusive to patreon so again folks patreon.com backslash wrestle radio five dollars a month all the content that you could ever want in wrestling enjoy And Johnny Gargano, a true game changer in the wrestling business, you guys. And just remember that in a couple, actually, it's almost, oh, geez, it's almost a month now, we will be having the first ever Game Changer year-end awards, the Gamies, and it's going to be an awesome deal. And I'm going to tell you this right now, I'm going to make an exclusive special announcement that you can only hear on the Game Changer podcast that you definitely will not hear anywhere else. So be sure to tune in for that first edition of the Gamies We'll feature that special announcement. It's going to be absolutely insane. But of course, we are the Game Changer Network, part of the Wrestle Attic Radio Network. I'm Nate the Epic Great, joined here by Mr. Fretz. Oh boy, guys, going to do the cheap plugs again. Then we'll get into talking about this event because it is pretty good. Uh, of course, got to check out everybody on Patreon, part of the Wrestle Attic Radio Network. It's always awesome to check out the extra content that you guys can only get for how much by only a $5 deal. I mean, honestly, you're paying less than the WWE Network to get exclusive content. You can't get any better than that. People from the Fourth Wall WrestleCast, from the Gifted Podcast, from the Kings of the Rings, as well as Nacho Mama Soap Opera Podcast. So many great programs, so many great content on there you cannot get anywhere else. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about 1997. Let's talk about the Montreal Scrooge. Oh, wait, that was a couple months later. Wait, I'm sorry. Backtrack, 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 backtrack. Oh, Halloween Havoc. Even better. It's only fitting. We're, we're doing this on Halloween. We might as well talk about the best one of the best Halloween Havocs compared to what was probably one of the worst Halloween Havocs. So, this happened, of course, 19... I, you know what? Hold on. I got I to gotta get the right notes for this. I got to do this here. But before we get too deep into this, Mr. Fretz... We will turn it to you because I believe that you have some very interesting facts about the year 1997 during this time. Well, not really because we covered it a couple of weeks ago, and this 
Jets was just a couple of weeks after Bad Blood. So you've already heard the Wayback Machine for here. You know, I'm in eighth grade, and whatever movies and whatever games came out, I, I forget. I didn't, I didn't do it for, for this particular film because October 97, you already know. If you listen to Bad Blood, cheap plug. Uh, I this this one of those shows that I didn't I watched it for the first time like this week so it was fun. Uh, yep. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I did. I, I did actually forget about that. Okay, so Halloween Havoc took place on October 26, 1997 at Paradise, Nevada at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. 12,457 people are in attendance here with the tagline, Snap into the Madness. God help me, I... Yeah, Mr. Fred's kind of pointed out, you're going to be hearing a lot of Slim Jim uh, plugs when it comes to this. But... It does have on the cover of the VHS cover. Oh my God, VHS! That was, uh, whoo! That was that, that was my childhood. We had have the Halloween Havoc logo on there, and it has Hogan, the Hogan versus. Oh my gosh, that that is insane! Uh, Hogan versus Piper in a steel cage match. Honestly, you guys, it's one of those main events. It's like I'm kind of excited to hear about this one. I'm kind of excited to see this one. So. It's very interesting, but we have a little bit that we have to get into before we get into that whole ordeal. <clears throat> so we start off with uh, Yuki Nagata versus Ultimo Dragon. Ultimo Dragon, a guy I have not seen in quite a while. The last time I think I remember seeing him wrestle was uh, WrestleMania 20 when we did that review earlier this year. And honestly, pretty good matchup to start off. Uh, definitely had introduced like the fast pace style the exclusive deal that you could only get on the WCW Nitro deal so it was really cool to see that uh, any notes or anything worthy that we wanted to talk about Mr. Fretz? Yeah, I, I like this match you know, this was a, a few that was kind of going on like WCW Saturday Night or on um, their B show their C show I think it was called Myth that I, I, I forget but yeah, we had Sonny Ono, and he took a selfie with a camera there, like a disposable camera. So I'm like, oh, people did selfies in 1997. How about that? <laughs> uh, and uh, there was a point in time, I think just before this, where Ultimo Dragon had like 10 belts. And one of those oh, belts, I believe, was the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship because that was defended in for several years before it came over to the WWF, like, that year. Huh. Uh, and I think notable people that have held that sh- that title, I believe, uh, is Ultimo Dragon, Juice and Thunder Lager, Chris Benoit, uh, t- to name a few. I'm, I'm actually going to look up the, the the history of it while we go on here. So there's some really nice pyro, uh, Ultimo Dragon's offense always got a pop. You know, Sonny Ono used to be his manager, and then kind of turned on him and uh, recruited Yuji Nagata. So yeah, I think he's been wrestling at a couple of uh, New Japan shows, maybe like Wrestle Kingdom uh, Battle Royals or something. So it was uh, it was really. Yeah, it was, it was good when you're kind of the history here to have... Uh, uh, never mind. I'll, I won't get it out right now. It was a nice head and kick, and uh, 
might be the best guy. It's definitely a Hitmon Lee, a kick type Pokemon that evolved from Tyrogue, so big shout out there. A nice pile driver. The flock came out to. This is when we saw the flock uh, come out to the ring and. Uh, and then Ultimate Dragon hits his namesake, Asai Moonsault, of which he is the inventor of, because Asai is his name. Uh, the Dragon Sleeper got a really, really good pop. And, uh, of course, Yuji hits the ropes. Uh, there's a nice Dragon Rana. There's uh, Ultimate Dragon with selling the arm. And there's a Fujiwara armbar and a clean tap at win by Yuji Nagata. They're very, very good match. It was very so now good. I have it was Viano three Chris Adams Piero Agayo Viano three Viano three the great Sasuke Ultimo Dragon there it is Ultimo Dragon Jushin Thunder Liger El Samurai Shinjiro Otani Whew. that's 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 quite the impressive no I was mistaken Chris Benoit did not have this title. I thought the Pegasus kid definitely had this belt, but it was kind of funny. It was in the WWF. Oh, that's right. Yeah, honestly, this was a pretty good matchup to start off. Like you said, uh, the matchup, uh, post-match, we got to see uh, Yuji and Ono beat down on Ultimo Dragon, just because they can, really. And kind of ends on that. We get backstage, we see Disco Inferno, the television champion. He is talking with uh, the guys back there when they had those uh, 1-800 like call numbers where you could actually talk to the wrestlers. So he was back there talking to a couple people there, but he's being chased by Jacqueline. Hey, Jacqueline versus Disco Inferno. That's a matchup that's on this card. Did it deliver? We'll talk about that when we get to it. Uh, next up we had uh, a... What's up? Nate, can, can I interject? <laughs> I'm, I'm on the Kings of the... I'm on our KOTR chat, and uh, Kayla Kelly just said that on the Cultaholic charity stream for, um, uh, for Crown Fool, Ross is dressed up as Brother Love. <laughs> I have to find this right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. Oh man, so, well, if you want to check that out while, while we get, while I get to this next matchup, by all means, just... Have at it. So uh, the next matchup was a was a Guido versus Chris Jericho. Another really good matchup. Another showcase of the cruiserweights. And honestly, this was a think before they got into the whole you know conspiracy theory Jericho. So he was kind of like that fresh baby face, getting all happy, like come on baby, getting everybody excited. Uh, the one thing, the one thing that stood out to me during this matchup was a very scary Frankensteiner that was in here. Uh, Guido was on the corner. And Chris Jericho is going to deliver the Frankensteiner. I don't know if Jericho just didn't get enough torque, or if he, or if something else happened. But it literally looked like Jericho spiked himself on his head with this uh, Frankensteiner attempt. That was just one of those things where I'm thinking to myself, "Oh God, how is how does Jericho not have neck problems? What the what?" And, and, and he just continued. He just continued. It was just one of those things where I thought I saw him spike his neck and continue like nothing. It's like how how is he not holding his neck? What the heck? Either I'm missing something or or he is that strong. What the heck? But honestly, really good matchup. 
we see Jericho locking the Lion Tamer, not the Walls of Jericho, the Lion Tamer, which I think is his better finisher, onto Guido. Guido taps out. Chris Jericho picking up a victory here. I mean, like you said, it's a good matchup. Doesn't really, you know, uh, improve anything. It doesn't really take away from anything. It's one of those matches where it's like, hey, Cruiserweights, here you go. It's like, okay, I'm okay with this. But then we get into the next matchup. Oh, boy, it's going to be a lot to talk about. But before we get into that, uh, what, were you, what were your thoughts on this matchup between Jericho and Guido? Well, I was going to try and put the, the Brother Love screen cap in the, <laughs> in the window there. But I'll, I'll send it to the group chat for you. It, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, Guido, I think, is his was one of his trainers, or at least one of his... Um, Dojo's or Chris Jericho was one of his young boys in Japan, so this is a nice, uh, a nice nod for for that. Uh, that super, bu- there was like a super bomb Hern, yeah, Hern Conrana botch. I think he referenced that. Yeah, I, I didn't write anything down. It was just basic Jericho match. I think he was trying to be a little bit of a heel, so. Uh, at, at, but, but it'll be full circle a year later before he'd be healed, so, uh, yeah. Uh, do I, did I have, nope, I just wrote down, I just wrote something down for the next match. I didn't write a lot down because this next match was top tier. Yeah. Well, well, don't, well, don't worry, I, I got some pretty good notes when it came to this, because I think after, uh, during this, during the next matchup, I did start taking more notes, so that way I'm just not saying, oh, random shit. This happened, boom, done. That kind of deal. So I'm trying to get back into the deal of that. But uh, we actually did have a segment where I have it uh, titled Soap Opera Drama. And then I'm thinking to myself, what does that mean? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, that's right, because of this bullshit. We had Deborah backstage talking to the interviewers. I guess it was a situation where if, she, if her selected man would have lost, then she'd be gone from WCW or something. Like, I don't know. Something really stupid where... Where basically Deborah's being put up as like I don't know like this gold digger or some shit. Oh wait, no, it is basically a gold digger deal. Like she wants all the money, she wants all this and blah blah blah. And then Mike Steve, Steve McMichael uh, came in basically saying, "Yeah, you were a tramp and blah blah blah, blah everything like that." So it's literally one of those things was like, "Wow, this literally is a soap opera." Man, I never thought I'd say this, but soap opera and wrestling do in fact go hand in hand especially here in 1997. I do want to do a side note when you were talking about uh, the Raven and his nest. Uh, one of the highlights of this entire event is whenever they would go to them in the crowd, because Raven, Billy Kidman, and Steve, Stephen Richards, they're just literally in the crowd. Uh, they just pan over to these guys. You literally see Raven and Billy Kidman. They're just sitting there, kind of like fickle, just... So they're like, oh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And here's Steven Richards, who sticks out like a sore thumb in this group. He's all happy. He's got these signs. He's waving. He's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, how did, how did this work for so many years? Steven Richards, you're amazing. Just, oh, man, just, just don't worry. When you're t- paired up with Victoria, you are going to be her eye candy. Just remember that. Just remember that. Uh, I forgot he was there, actually, in WCW. I, I actually did, too. I think I remember... I remember he was in ECW when they were doing a lot of, like, the parody stuff with him and Blue Meanie, and then they did UWO, and it was like, yep, here comes his career. It's taken off. And then he just started being Raven's lackey in WCW, and then his run with WWF, which was just him kind of being there. 
Uh, he had some interesting storylines. I, I, do you remember his uh, storyline with Chris Masters where his nose legitimately got broken? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. I was going to reference right to censor. I mean, that was the highlight of his career. <laughs> that, that, that gimmick was nuclear heat before nuclear heat was nuclear. Like, by goodness. Uh, yeah, that... That that he did like a Polish. It was like his debut, Masters debut match. He did the Polish hammer right in Stevens' face. Yeah, it was, it was one of those things where uh, would only be bested by the Seth Rollins knee to John Cena's face, where his nose literally looked like a lightning bolt on his face. Or or the 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 uh, Hardy Boys, Paul London, Brian Kendrick, uh, Joey Mercury. Oh Lighter's God! Not. Yep, nope. That takes the cake. Oh God. You know what? Too graphic, too graphic for me. Happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Okay, perfect match. Ray Mercedes, go, go, go. Ray Mercedes. Uh, yes. Happy Ray, thoughts, happy thoughts. Yes, very happy thoughts. So the WCW Cruiserweight title is on the line here, as well as Rey Mysterio's mask. So Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero for the Cruiserweight title. Uh, one thing that I will say I enjoyed about this is that um, when the Eddie Guerrero DVD came out, I actually got the chance to watch this matchup while having Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero uh, were on commentary with Michael Cole, where they were talking about the matchup. Uh, Rey Mysterio mentioned that there were a lot of matches, moves on here, that he could only do that one time, where, like, you know, nothing else kind of, like, clicked or worked for him whenever he tried to do it any other time. It was like, it was just one of those things where it's like, I, I only did this move one time, and that was it. So, there's a couple spots in here that was really great. Uh, Rey Mysterio has his mask embedded to his uh, jumpsuit, which was actually a really smart idea because that prevents him from uh, re- removing the mask. And maybe there's some people that would be like, oh, but that just means Ray's, Ray's going to lose. Like, I don't know about that because during this matchup, we do see Eddie Guerrero basically trying to you know tear off the mask and try to stretch it a bit, try to you know remove it from him. Uh, but like I said, third, third line on here, I have mask versus title, Ray versus Eddie, me very happy. Uh, Rey Mysterio definitely involves a lot of his, you know, acrobatics in this matchup, and he tries to use those acrobatics against him, which he does on a couple of occasions. Uh, one move that we loved that Fred talked about earlier was that backflip DDT from the top rope onto Eddie. Oh, that was just, that was just a thing of beauty. Uh, there's also a very classic moment where Eddie Guerrero has Rey Mysterio in the Tree of Woe, and, uh, Eddie tries to go for, like, the baseball slide to... To Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio gets up, and he baseball slides himself <laughs> and his crotch into the ring pole. That was amazing. Oh man, that that was just great. Um, there was a six one nine variation where Rey Mysterio just you know swings around. He does like a head scissors to Eddie Guerrero to get him out of the ring. Then he does this like flip over, uh, flip over move over the top rope into the head scissors. Which I look at these moves, and I'm just like, man. Rey Mysterio, you got to try to bring these moves back. That's amazing. Matchup ends with Eddie Guerrero going for the uh, the crucifix bomb off the top top rope. The uh, uh, man, is that Splash Mountain? Splash bomb. Mountain. Thank you, thank you. I I almost forgot that move. Actually, I did. Um, he does, he goes for the Splash Mountain on Ray. Ray counters with the head scissors. One, two, three. We have a new cruiserweight champion in Rey Mysterio, and he keeps his championship. He's looking to the camera. He's you know, t- talking Spanish, Eddie, classic sore loser Eddie, 
attacks Rey Mysterio, throws him out. And I will say this, one of the things I always love about these, um, of the commentaries in the Eddie Guerrero DVD deal is, uh, <laughs> is, is some of the things he says when he's being a sore loser. And uh, one, one thing I just remember raised just saying cheap shot. And he's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> but my favorite one is where he they do commentary. It's uh, him and Rob Van Dam in the ladder match on Raw for the IC title. And Rob's celebrating his victory, and a ladder just comes out of nowhere. Of course, it's Eddie hitting him with the ladder. We just hear people going like, hey, wait a minute. Boo. And Eddie just chuckles. He's like, the ladder fell on you, man. What can I say? <laughs> just, <laughs> it's like classic Eddie. God dang it. Uh, this was an amazing matchup. This was in all, this was match of the night, and everybody always references this matchup when they want to see like the best of Rey Mysterio. Um, I know Saw Monster actually did a uh, like top eight or not top or like top ten uh, Rey Mysterio matches of all time, and this was his uh, number one on there. And honestly, it's a hard number one to top because you can mention a lot of other things, whether it's you know. The match between uh, Ray and Prince Puma at Lucha Underground, or Ray versus Chris Jericho in that Mask versus Title matchup, ironically enough. But there's nothing that can touch this uh, Mask versus Title match between Eddie and Ray. They just have a great chemistry with each other, and everything on this uh, during this matchup was just absolutely perfect. There was no way that you could replicate it or even top this. Absolutely, like you, you said it best. I mean, that backflip DDT spot was just—that was the move that I gave like my creative guy as a finish, as like a secondary finisher in like every SmackDown game that that it had. And that the spot, the splash match—I I didn't take a lot of notes. I'm just like, I just want to sit here and enjoy this match. Uh, the splash mountain bomb into the Hurricanrana was a thing of beauty. These two were just as crisp as it gets in the ring. Like they, I think they—they they, they were in the ring. Like, since they were both teenagers, they grew Yeah, I think when Eddie and Ray had their career starts down in Mexico, I think they were even in the ring back then. Every match they've had, even their one at, like, WrestleMania 21, which a lot of people think is not their best, still good. Still good. No, I definitely agree with that. We have a backstage segment with Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan. Basically, they're stating... To, T, to the, I almost said TNA management, Jeez Louise, that's not until way later on. Uh, to WCW management, they're just like, we're not going to fight in this cage match, brother, until we know for a fact that Sting is not going to be in the arena. Otherwise, we're going to leave. And all throughout the, uh, the deal, all the way until they made the announcement, um... Literally, they were just mentioning that, like, oh, Hogan could probably leave right now. Oh, he's not leaving. Hogan's going to leave. They're not leaving, blah, blah, blah. This was just one of those things where it did showcase the fact that they had the whole NWO deal just overtake so much of the programming, and it sucked. Uh, Next matchup we have is uh, Steve McMichael versus Alex Wright with Deborah in his corner. What do I have to say about this? Uh, For me, boring matchup. In comes Goldberg. Goldberg destroy. Goldberg win. Alex wins. Goldberg destroy. Goldberg gets shiny ring. Goldberg leave. This was literally like I I I just could not care so much about this matchup. I didn't understand the story behind it. Match itself was nothing really too 
predominantly interesting. It's just one of those things where I was like, that's it's 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 there. It's just it's just there. Only highlight was Goldberg coming in, and somehow the referee does not hear the spear and jackhammer, which I call BS on that. But he came in and he's just like, yeah, I'm nobody's team. Yeah, you get the win. Yeah, I get my ring. Goldberg happy. <laughs> Goldberg destroy. Goldberg help person win. Goldberg destroy other person. Goldberg get ring. Goldberg happy. That's that's all in a day's work for Goldberg. But I don't know. Maybe I missed something here. But I don't know. What were your thoughts of this matchup? I was I was actually watching WCW at this at this point in time. So I rem- I can vaguely recall the storyline. Well, Mongo and Goldberg are both their former uh, football players. Mongo. I think that ring was. It might have been Mongo's Super Bowl rings. I think he won a Super Bowl with the... Who won the Super Bowl in the 90s? I, I, M- Mongo won it with... I think it maybe with the Bears, and I think Goldberg was with the Raiders. I'm I'm not well-versed in football. Uh, that's maybe because I cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs, who are mediocre at best this year, but they just got Priest Holmes back. I know diddly crap about football. I'm Canadian. My, my expertise is hockey. Um... So yeah, there, there, it was it was like a Super Bowl ring storyline in here. Um, actually, I, I I would have thought Goldberg would have been the person that Deborah would get to be in her corner to go against Mongo. Goldberg was a heel at this point in time. He was just starting his streak, like that maybe a month before this. He was he was still getting booed, but it was. Probably not until about World War Three or Starcade where his uh, his pops and his career really started taking off. And uh, yeah, he, I'm just there. He's there for no reason. And it was yeah, yeah. Alex Wright, the dancing, the dancing fool, the future Berlin. Ooh. That's that's old school bad WCW. And uh, big love, big shout out to, to Mance who's who's been covering that. Uh, you know, there was a there was the thing on Mance beat. Mance has been feeling rough. I think he had like a, something with his back. So positive vibes and all the best uh, best wishes uh, to to the gift of podcast to the Reverend himself. Uh, yeah, just this match was nothing. <laughs> yep, yep. And I will definitely uh, add on to that. Definitely. Monday Night Delight, Mance, we wish you nothing but the best and hopefully a speedy recovery. We love you to see you back from the WrestleAddict Radio family. Um, we go into the next uh, deal, which was a Macho Man uh, with Slim Jim style promo. So much Slim Jim mentioned in this promo. Uh, it also featured Elizabeth, not Miss Elizabeth, but Elizabeth in this. And honestly, it's one of those things where I... Did, this was still at a point where it's like, man, she's still beautiful. Even like, without you know the fancy dresses and stuff like that, she looks incredibly attractive. Uh, but I was not too sure how she was going to be when it came to being a heel. You'll kind of understand maybe a little more why a little later on when we get into a matchup between Macho Man and Hangman, not Hangman Page, Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, that matchup I'm looking forward to talking about. But we go into the next matchup, which is an unsanctioned, quote-unquote, matchup between Disco Inferno and Jacqueline. The first time ever that we're seeing a woman and a man battling in the ring at a WCW event. 
honestly, this is bad. And I will say this, that the crazy thing about this is that about 12 years later, Disco Inferno would kind of be doing the same thing, but with uh, Scarlet Bordeaux. So it is kind of weird to see, you know, about 12 years later, history kind of repeats itself in a weird way. Uh, this matchup featured a lot of Disco running around the ring and just not even attempting to fight her. It was kind of one of those things where they were just basically heavily hitting about the whole deal. It's like, well, you can't really hit a woman. You can't really punch her and stuff like that. So it's kind of one of those things like, okay, WCW is at least being kind of smart about this. Uh, we get like a, what looks like a Jacqueline nip slip, which I think was why probably so many people were going like, hey, I just see her kind of fixing her, uh, kind of fixing her, uh, her, her ring attire. Uh, what, definitely, uh, Jacqueline was proving that women, women aren't fra fragile. I can definitely tell you right now that she was definitely one of the toughest women that I've seen in this entirety of the entire deal. I will say this, that even though it kind of went on a little too long, the more it progressed, I feel like the better it got. Because finally then Jacqueline was able to get like some punches, some slaps and stuff on Disco. Disco doesn't even lay a bunch of a punch. He tries basically to get a pinfall on Jacqueline early, early, early after I think it was a missed, uh, I think it was like a, it was like some kind of missed move. But uh, he's thinking, oh, please, no, tell me those three, tell me those three. I don't want this matchup to keep going. Uh, a beautiful float over DDT by Jacqueline. That was great. Uh, Disco Inferno would get rolled up eventually by Jacqueline for the victory. Jacqueline wins the matchup. Like I said, it's, it's not a bad matchup. I think it gets a slow start, but then it kind of picks up near the end. And honestly, not bad. Not bad at all. I I kind of enjoyed this matchup. It was kind of like a guilty pleasure. Where it was like, it is kind of bad, but at least it had some highlights. At least it was good. Yeah, I was just scrolling through. Cain uh, Velasquez just got mega squashed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wanted to bring. I wanted to bring that up just for the shit. So Twitter is having a meltdown right now. Uh, of course, yeah. Not. <laughs> thank, thank God. Um, Jackie, or AKA Miss Texas. If you go back and look up some of her, it had to be early NWA or even her USWA stuff. Uh, she's been she's been wrestling men since the eighties and kicking all of their ass. And. Uh, not that I noticed, but I think it was cold in the arena, if you catch my drift. Uh, yeah. and, and Jacqueline, well, those big, fake plastic boobs have come out on more than one occasion in WWE. So it, it was it was no surprise that there might have been a slip there. Uh, at a UK show, actually, she was like on the shoulders of a referee, Sable rips off her top, and there they are, because you can show tits in the UK. Um, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, she... she it looked like she was, like, holding it or adjust, adjusting it a lot. Uh, if this was OSW, they'd be doing, like, jocks watch. Like, they did a bit with Ronda Rousey, like, how many times she'd pull up her pants or adjust herself during a match, and it got to, like, 17, I think. Or Becky Lynch was doing the same thing. It's a running joke. Watch OSW, folks. Um, yeah, a whole bunch of mind games. Um, Disco Inferno is trying to avoid, avoid Jackie and just being... Uh, being well, th this is 1997. I mean, you're you're being a coward because oh, you don't want to get beat up by a girl, do you? Uh, but this is what uh, inter this is 
intergender wrestling before intergender wrestling, but as, as, as I've said, Miss Texas Jackie has been wrestling guys since the 80s. And, like, she could kick the ass out of literally everyone in that locker room. She could kick she could kick the locker room's ass today. Uh, this is just a classic game of cat and mouse. There was a nice DDT. There was a crossbody reversal and a nope. Uh, drop drop toe hold, sunset flips, bunch of mind games. This is where I noticed Stevie Richards was in the crowd. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah this, this is your... This is your classic uh, battle battle of the the genders, battle of the sexes, whatever you whatever you want to call it. It was it was what it was. I've seen better intergender wrestling. I mean, look at uh, Tessa versus Sammy. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think we've definitely evolved since since nineteen ninety seven when it comes to that. Oh God, that stared out, and I want I want Tessa to be champion so badly now. We'll see what happens. It's, it's going to happen. It, it, even if it's a brief rain, you know, like it, spoilers are out. But uh, yeah, this has already happened on this week's Impact. So spoilers, not anymore. But Sammy Callahan, now that he's the champion, he should have won at Bound for Glory. This is this right? is always weird. There's like what, there's been a past couple of Bound for Glories where the wrong result championship wise happened and then a week later on like the next impact on tv they win i think it's, it's like when austin aries was going for the title uh, the same thing happened they, that's back when they were on that's back when it was on friggin' spike maybe the one that kind of stood out to me was the one with uh, bobby Roode, where he won the bound for glory series faced off against kurt angle had a good matchup kurt angle won by hooker by crook and then a week later they had the whole actually it was like the impact later they had James Storm win the title off of Kurt Angle, and then they had James Storm versus Bobby Roode, where Bobby Roode won the title and had the longest reign in Impact Wrestling history. Yes. Another reason why I, I love Bobby Roode. Good. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I was about to say, right right heel. It's like, it's like, you know, it was a heel, just the wrong heel. Wrong, dirty heel. <laughs> yeah, you, you got my reference. You got my reference. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, Austin Aries and Bobby Roode were heels, and they were known as the Dirty Heels as a tag team. It, it was kind of cool. Uh, anyway, let's get into a matchup that is a bit about the heels. Uh, the U.S. title matchup, which we had Kurt Henning defending against Ric Flair. So this is a matchup I kind of enjoyed because there was so much history between these two guys. If you remember earlier on, I think it was even earlier on in the 90s, where... Uh, Kurt Henning and Ric Flair, they were kind of an item together. Uh, Henning was the manager of Ric Flair. He was there when he won the WWE title. And also we got the deal where Kurt Henning ended Ric Flair's quote-unquote you know, WWF career on Raw, where he pinned him in a loser-leaves WWF matchup. So this was kind of an interesting ordeal. Having all that history, I'm thinking, okay, now they're kind of transitioning it into you know, WCW. How could they possibly do that? First thing I see... Kurt Henning coming out with the Ric Flair robe, but the sleeves completely cut off. To where I'm like, oh shit, this is going to get good. And was I right? As soon as we got into the Challenger deal, music hits, here comes Flair, he bolts in, and I just have right here, Flair looking to kill C, Kurt Henning. 
And to be honest, that was a good majority of this matchup where Flair was just very, very physical with this matchup. This was a matchup where there were very few uh, covers in this matchup. And there was a lot of physicality. So that definitely showcased that this matchup was beyond you know, the whole technical style of wrestling. That this was definitely a more personal matchup. And I liked it. I liked the fact that you know they were more focused on beating the ever-living hell out of each other more than the whole, you know, oh, well, we should cover each other. Quick, quick, cover, quick, cover, quick. No, it seemed like Kurt Henning and Ric Flair literally had a vendetta against each other. So it was like, well, how do we... Well, we can't just beat them right away. We have to, you know, make these guys suffer. So... Worked out really nicely. Um, there was a close call with the missed chair spot to hit. Oh, that's right. Um, Kurt Henning was going to go for a uh, chair where he, I think he had Ric Flair's head. Uh, no, it was, I think it might have been Flair. Yeah, I think it was Flair that did this. Um, Flair was going to hit Kurt Henning with the with the steel chair. He had him wedged with the with his head with the uh, ring post. Ric Flair misses. Thank God for that. Uh, Kurt Henning with a very nice catapult deal. Oh my gosh, this was great. Uh, really good matchup. The finish kind of... It's kind of one of those things where I'm like, huh, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, so basically, Kurt Henning gets put into like this tree of woe. Then Ric Flair takes the WCW United States Championship, puts it on Kurt Henning's face, and then he just stomps on the belt with his face right behind it. And the, the match has ended, it's a DQ finish. So, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, I would have been, this matchup, I think I would have been okay with a DQ finish if it wasn't just such a lame DQ finish. I just felt like that, you know, whole belt to the face deal, unless he was going to get, you know, have the title belt and just whap him upside the head, that's one thing. But just have him be like, oh, hey, look, here's your championship. I'm going to put it across your face and then stomp your face into it. Okay, now that I say that, I think that was actually better. Because now, because now it is kind of one of those things where it's like, thinking it out loud, it actually does make him sound more cool. So, honestly, I thought this was a really good matchup. I think it's definitely one of those matches where it's like, okay, WCW is starting to really hook me back in. I kind of like it. So, what were your thoughts on this match? Before we do, I was just scrolling Twitter, and I came across Wrestle Features breaking, I don't know if this is legit or not, but Survivor Series will feature Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. Whoa. If that's legit, I mean, I don't know if I trust Wrestle Features. I mean, there's a few other fans tweeting about that. Um, I'm going to put a pin in that. I'll believe it. I'll believe it when I see it later, but, um, wow, so, yeah, Henning and Flair, you know, this whole time, like, I think only recently, I, I realized that, Kurt, that Kurt's last name didn't have an N in it, if you look, it says, it says Henning, this is a classic case of, uh, what, what's that, what, well, what's that thing called, the Mandela Effect, Oh, okay. It's like the Bernstein Bears. Like, I can tell you how it's spelled because my nephew has my old Bernstein Bears books. Uh, yeah, this was a great feud, and I totally forgot about their history. Like, 1992 Royal Rumble, uh, that's a review in the new year. Um, 
Like I, I totally forgot about Perfect being in Flair's corner that this whole time. That's when uh, Perfect had his back injury, and then this, of course, stemmed from when Hennig came to WCW. He was going to join the Horsemen and join Ric Flair against the fight against the NWO, but Swerve Bro shut the head in the steel cage at War Games, which looked brutal. Like I think Ric Flair's head, like hair, was still standing there. Uh, we saw a nice corner figure four, a really good brawl, a really good chop off, some head slams into the cage. Oh yeah, there was a. No, I, I'm I'm looking into different different notes here. I think because I have sleep sleeper. Did I put my Hogan versus Piper notes in the Flair versus Henning column? <laughs> you may have. Oh, my. I may, I, I may, I may have. Anyways, there was a, that tree of unless they did a sleeper in a runaway spot and maybe the cage came down or something. I don't know. But there was a really nice uh, that tree of woe with the belt to the face spot looked like that's something the fiend would do, or that's something that would happen in what would have potentially happened in that uh, fiend and Rollins match. You know. Get the, get the belt in, in Fiend's face, and Seth Rollins just takes a sledgehammer to it, just does like a, uh, what's that, test your strength spot at the, at the county fair with the bell. Oh, yeah, 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 that, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah just you're, you're ring his bell like that, and then you keep going and going from there. Hey, I just rewrote the match with the same stupid finish. How about that? And then we see, oh my goodness, it's that big tub of lard piece of crap Mark Madden. I didn't know he was in WCW back here, and <laughs> and those of us who are who are into hockey, I mean, he he does a lot of uh, I don't know vlog or sports writing. He does a lot of stuff with with or for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and there, there was a there was a bit a few years ago on a podcast from Toronto I listened to called the Steve Dangle Podcast. Hilarious, by the way. Uh, even if you're not a Leafs fan, it's really, really funny. And they were making fun of these Mark Madden bits. I can't remember what they were because it was like six, seven years ago, but Mark, Mark Madden is just unintentionally hilarious and he doesn't know it. Like, right. <laughs> it got to the point where I think he was actually on their show and like, he went along with the joke, but I can tell Mark Brands is like, you punks, you. <laughs> you motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've wrestled Mean Gene. What have you done? I've let's, forget about, let's forget about that. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm taking a shit. I think it's a little more of an accomplishment. Um... So, so, so I, w- I want to say this. I, I stand corrected when I talked about the Macho Man deal uh, earlier. He was doing like a Slim Jim style deal. I think probably promoting Slim Jim. Um, but during this one, this is the interview where he talks about DDP, and this is where we saw Miss, we saw Elizabeth. But I put down so much nothing. Like literally, he talked a lot, but nothing was really said. I don't know. This was this was weird for me. Um, we had J.J. Dillon come out announcing the main event was still going on, and when it came to the Sting, it's like Hogan. That's that's your problem, man. That's that's whatever. That's whatever. And uh, Bischoff is just coming out. It's like no, this is it. You know, Travis, you were going to leave, and he and J.J. Dillon pulls out the contract that they signed and said, "Hey, 
this is going to happen, whether you like it or not. We have Eric Bischoff, you know, pissing and moaning, as only Eric Bischoff can do. Let's just hope that that wasn't his last deal when he was fired from the company just a few months ago. It feels like a few months ago, but I think it was only last month. Either way. Like last, no, it was like last week. Yeah, it, it feels like, like it. Yeah, it feels like... How, how is it the end of October? It's, 2019's almost over. Like It's crazy. Crazy, man. Like, it's it's crazy. Like, in, uh... Let's see. Yeah, in like two, three weeks, my nephew's turning five. <laughs> Where... Where did this go? I don't We're know. going to 2020 for... Oh, man. I'll tell you this right now. If you thought 2019 was crazy, guys, you have not seen 2020. I've got big plans for 2020. You do not want to miss out on that. But let's get into this next matchup here. We have Scott Hall with six, taking on Lex Luger, and the special guest referee for this matchup, Larry Zabisco, who I'm going to say this right now, after watching this matchup, Larry Zabisco is probably my all-time favorite referee. Yep. And there's a lot of examples as to why. We're going to talk about that. Um, Funny enough, I thought that uh, X-Pac's name of six was with three X's. That was unintentional, mind you. But it does Uh, kind of... That was a few years later. That is true. (laughs) That's why why it's funny. It's like, that was unintentional because, obviously, that goes into his career move years later. But it was kind of those things where somebody had a six sign out there. And I'm like, oh, it's with two X's. Oh. Oh, that's going to be something funny to bring on the podcast. <laughs> um, the matchup starts off with a lot of wear down holds. Uh, Larry Zabisco tries to, you know, make the counts. Six is just basically screaming out three so many times. Uh, I thought that was just hilarious. Uh, one thing I noticed with uh, Larry Zabisco is that when it comes to his three counts, he counts a little bit slower than when he does the ten counts to the outside. With the t- three counts, it's like one, two, three, that kind of stuff. With the ten counts, it's like one, two, three, four. It's like faster, and I'm kind of like, I kind of like this. This kind of ups- this kind of makes the match go by faster. Um, so yeah, we have these kind of weird wear down maneuvers and shit like that. Um, but then when Luger got his advantage by hitting a couple moves, crowd starts waking up. It starts getting really into it. Uh, Luger think is about to get the advantage, but Eric Bischoff gets involved, and he actually one ups a deal on uh, Scott Hall. And he also gives a really good shot on Eric Bischoff, which was awesome. Uh, Six uses the distraction to kick. Uh, Luger in the back of the head, Razor's Edge, Scott Hall pins pins Lex Luger, goes up up the rampway, and it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess that's that's kind of it. Then Larry Zabisco screaming, like, show the replay, show the replay. I'm like, why does he want to show the replay? They show the replay, and he just says, you know what, nope, I'm restarting the matchup. It's like, oh, my God, a referee who actually restarts the match after seeing a replay? That is awesome. We never see that anymore because referees nowadays are really stupid. <laughs> we see we see the match restart. Uh, Scott Hall gets in the ring, gets caught into the torture rack for the victory, and then we would see a beatdown on uh, Lex Luger as well as on Larry Zabisco for doing his job, for being a good person. 
And I will say this. Eric Bischoff beats down uh, Larry Zabisco. There comes a point where he's doing like a deal where he's covering Larry Zabisco. Scott Hall does a mock three count. And Tony Schiavone, with one of my favorite lines ever, <laughs> he says the phrase, Mama, I want to be a wrestler. <laughs> to which I was on the ground laughing, thinking, oh my God, Tony Schiavone, the man with the burn. That was awesome. Uh, so the match itself was it was decent. It wasn't really anything really too crazy. Um, Larry Zabisco was the highlight of this matchup. I absolutely thought that his officiating was just so, so beautiful. And I, I think he's my role model when it comes to being a referee now. I really want him to do more uh, referee-style matches. It, it was just great. Just absolutely great. Do you have anything to add or anything more to put into this? Oh, yeah. Like, I love that uh, Larry just, uh, he, he takes no crap. He, he was one of, the, one of the leaders against the brigade, like, against the NWO. Like, on commentary, he's just always giving out about them on, on commentary. And, damn it, OSW, damn it, Jay Hunter, you ruined Lex Luger for me. Listen to Lex's selling in every match he's in. He's like, ow! Oh! Uh, loud. He's selling <laughs> loud. I think there's even like a compilation of it. I think they someone from OSW or some fan of the show. Uh, pardon me. I did not get enough sleep. I never do. Um, <laughs> so Lex is he's selling loud. Like, uh, uh, wow. Ow. And uh, there's a there's a part where Larry takes. Uh, X-Pac to Larry Land, you know, that guillotine choke finisher. That was his old, like, wrestling finisher from the 70s and 80s. That's right. I'm going to take you on a trip to Larry Land. And, of course, we're setting up Zabisco versus Bischoff. Oh, excuse me again. Uh, (laughs) To carry on the feud. And after that razor's edge, you can tell there was a reluctant count. And... Why is there not instant replays in wrestling every match? I mean, I don't want to do it every match because, like, hockey, NHL just introduced the coaches' challenge. It's the stupidest. I'm going to be a good boy and not swear, although I probably already have. The stupidest freaking thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's in football for, like, oh, if your guys just, like, two inches offside or if this or the ball doesn't reach the end zone or there's like a controversy where like you're like you're in a scrum I don't watch football clearly you're in a scrum you're in a tablet you go like "Ah!" and reach to the goal line and you just get there like there was some kind of controversy at the Super Bowl about that I think Uh, and in hockey it's just like you're skating and if there's something to do with your stride, and if that's offside, uh, the coach can just go. If there's a goal on that play, oh no, coach's challenge, let's go. I mean, back in the day, actually just two years after this, we did 1999. And the Dallas Stars won the Stanley Cup that year when Brett Hall had his foot in the crease. And that back then, that was a no-no. Like, now you can just, like cross-check the goalie and put the puck in the net and they'll probably count it. And then 
Wendy Ruff, the former coach of the Buffalo Sabres, who was in the finals against the Dallas Stars, it's like they're having they're having a party. Say, like, hey, yeah, we lost the Stanley Cup, but we got to the Eastern Conference Finals. This is our end of the season party uh, because Buffalo likes to celebrate losing. Um, it's like okay, I got two words for you, and then then summer begins. No goal. So uh, off on that tangent, it's like wrestling should have some form of instant replays or. Jeez, even the commentator like throws the flag down into the ring or something. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, the final fall is under official review. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. Then you'd have like oh, some of those matches that end with like, say when KO had his foot under the ropes, when Shane McMahon was the referee, then you'd get like uh, Tom Hamilton, uh, Greg Hamilton throws the flag. <laughs> I'm just saying wrestling everybody let's, let's yes. go but don't overkill it like they do in the NHL it slows down the game when it drives me nuts right there, there should be certain situations like uh, like interference or stuff like that where it would work like if it's in a tag match that's one thing but if it's like a manager deal that's one thing where it's like that's another thing where it's like okay yeah you need to you need to replay this um we get a little plug for World War Three because why not? If we get into what is probably my second, my probably my favorite matchup of the night, as much as I love Ray versus Eddie, I kind of really like this matchup. Uh, Macho Man versus Diamond Dallas Page in a Las Vegas sudden death match. And, okay, while I say this is my favorite, I do have two issues when it comes with this. The first one being how they introduce this matchup was that countouts don't count to this. No DQs, no pinfalls, no stuff like that. You can only win by having your opponent not withstand the count of ten. Do you see the problem I have here? Do you see the problem I have? Okay, it's, so you can't win by count. Versus, it's the Fiend versus Seth Rollins. This is what this is. <laughs> it's, it's like, so you, you can't lose by countout, but as long as the person doesn't stand for a ten count... You win. Last man standing. It's it's, it's, it's a last man standing match. <laughs> it is that, but you know, WCW, we're the innovators of stuff that we know could probably be better. I'm sure. Um, so Macho Man comes out with the NWO theme, but only with an added "Ooh yeah" every now and then, which made it so annoying so fast. Uh, again, Elizabeth is smoking hot. My God, her going from like the dresses to this kind of more formal wear where she's got like an NWO shirt and kind of like nice pants, stuff like that. It's like, wow. It's kind of amazing to see somebody go from like the 80s to the night. She transitions very well. That was really great. Uh, DDP has one of the coolest entrants. I liked that where the fireworks, I think, spread from like the tombstones or something like that. Um, it was just a really cool entrance to see that. Uh, this was just a flat-out brawl between the two of them. They were brawling on the stage. They were brawling in the ring. They were brawling outside the ring. Great use of the stage, which I will say, 97 Halloween Havoc stage, probably one of my favorite stages I've ever seen, where you had, like, all of these, you know, styrofoam tombstones. You had the big skull in the middle, the two mini titantrons there. It was really cool. They utilized all that very well. They utilized the tombstones, the coffins that were there, all this crazy stuff that was involved. That it was great. I did I you notice it. one of the? Oh, I'm so sorry. 
Did you notice one of the tombstones said Elvis? Oh, man. He's alive! <laughs> Damn it all. Oh, man. I, I did not Elvis notice that. Elvis is alive, Undertaker! <laughs> God. Sting just says to Hogan that, that, that you need to know something. The king of rock and roll ain't dead, but the NWO sure will die. Oh, my God. If you would have said that, would have been amazing. Oh, man. A missed opportunity by Sting. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, it looks like DDP was just about to get the victory when Elizabeth actually knocks out the referee. That was uh, that was something new. I was like, okay, so we went from classic, classy, nice, uh, dressed Elizabeth to probably the most smoking hot, baddest woman that you'll ever see. Then she takes like some wires and she starts choking out DDP with it. And I'm literally just like, oh my god, this is this is new. I like new Elizabeth. I like this. But out comes Kimberly, who beats down on Elizabeth and actually just grabs her by her hair. And that's how she takes her out. She's just grabbing her by her hair and pulling her to the back. I'm literally like, oh shit, this is even better. Holy cow. This is like a legit cat fight, but there's no rolling around. I know, it makes it even better. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> or there's not a... Okay. Or there's not a cat, because... What 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 uh, pay-per-view was it? There was a pay-per-view that the Ruth... Like, the ruthless, the ruthless aggression podcast, well, the American one, not the British one, uh, where there was a female, there was a cat fight, a, a brawl backstage with all the females, and Ivory had a towel on, and she threw a cat, an actual living cat, into the brawl. Oh my god! I will send this to you. It is the most unintentionally hilarious and punny thing ever. Oh god, that's that's <laughs> great. So Elizabeth is taken out of the equation. DDP and Macho Man they're continuing their fight. Uh, DDP misses a diamond cutter after uh, Macho Man basically grabs the ropes, gets away from that. I think that was DDP's mistake because. Macho Man's near the ropes. He goes for the diamond cutter, not know, not thinking, oh, hey, Macho Man can grab the ropes and counter my move. Boom. He gets hit with that. Macho Man hits a macho elbow. Um, this is where my second issue came in, was that as the count was still going, Macho Man gets up to his feet. Referee note indicates this. And then just restarts the count again. Why? You're already at seven. Now you're going back to one. What, just just why? It made no sense to me. Uh, he would go for the elbow again. DDP would get back up to his feet. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page would counter a scoop slam into the Diamond Cutter, which was a great counter. Obviously, we would get a better one a year later, but this was still like an evolution of it where it's like Diamond Cutter out of nowhere. Uh, DDP tries to go for another Diamond Cutter, but Macho Man hits a low blow, then we have a fake sting come out. He attacks uh, DDP, hits him. I think it was supposed to be either in the neck or the chest with the baseball bat. Um, but this would cause a DDP to not get up for the count of 10. Macho Man would win. And to add a little bit more insult to injury, Savage decides to continue to beat down on DDP. He beats him down. 
a bit a bit after the matchup. Then they got him on a gurney. He stretched up. And we would not see this until about seven years later where somebody would get attacked in a stretcher. Because, well, actually, it was probably sooner than that. Because I was referring to the Snitsky-Kane deal where Kane was getting pulled out of a stretcher and Snitsky just shoves the stretcher over, beats him down. But I think there was probably was before that. Yeah. I th- I, I, that was just the one that came to mind. But, but yeah, Macho Man came up. He gets everybody out of the way. He starts beating down on DDP even more. And it kind of ends with that. Las Vegas Sun Death Match was a really great matchup. Yes, it's a poor man excuse for a last man standing matchup, but when you got these two guys in it, it was great. I liked a lot of the spots that were involved in this. It told a really great story. I liked the fact that we involved Elizabeth in this, and it also involved Kimberly, who neutralized Elizabeth from the deal. You had some great spots. The di- oh, man, every time I see a diamond cutter, it's just great. Uh, Macho Man elbows were just really on point, and... I think that it definitely does continue the story between DDP and Macho Man Randy Savage. Like I said, great. And I think that this should have been the main event, but trust me, we're going to get into that in just a bit. Oh, boy. Um, but your thoughts on this matchup? I, I loved it. <clears throat> I like the whole, they were in a graveyard, and I thought, oh, they're foreshadowing Undertaker versus DDP. Well done. Um, we saw once I saw Savage with the camera. I'm just like, I'm ready, Savage. There was a really nice uh, spot with uh, looked like uh, DDP hit a uh, Styles Clash, but they call it the pancake. You know, the cover was. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I always liked that there was there's a page tells stories about uh, about Macho, and it's like, hey, page. And, you know, Macho really helped uh, put him over in his career. Like, they had another match, I think. Oh, I want to say Spring Stampede, Super Bowl. They had another street fight where uh, DDP finally got the win on Macho. Because this was a a storyline that was going on for a while. And they had, you know, they had had more going forward. Uh, Fake Sting, well, one of the fake stings we would probably see a few more later on they come out and then I remember WCW head of security Doug Ginger oh, I just you know come, uh, I remember I, I liked him he was unlockable in WCW Revenge I mean WCW Mayhem and Backstage Assault I'm like why would I wrestle as Doug Dillinger and I was actually just looking him up I'm like what happened to that guy because we saw no I was reviewing um Unforgiven 99, and there was... Remember that big, beefy security guard for WWE, Jim Dotson? Oh, yeah. The guy that wore the, yeah, the love of Capel. He, he passed away a few years ago, and uh, and I'm like, what about Doug Dillinger? He's just quiet, living, quiet, retired, married life, so good for him. Uh, yeah, th- th- this was a whole fun. Liz and Kimberly with, uh, with a whole lot of pun to him, baby. Uh, you know, DDP got up at nine. There was the ref bump, and finally, oh, there's the diamond cutter, but there's no ref bump. So of course, he'd get the interference spot, and that that was fun. Uh, the ref, you got to check out the rest of their matches because they were they were top tier. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, we go into the main event, ladies and gentlemen, which is for the. No, it's not. Oh, that's right. It's just a cage match. So it's a cage match between Roddy Roddy Piper and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. 
Michael Buffer as a ring announcer can never go wrong with that. I did question why the world title was not on the line because NWL. That's why it's really weird because with Piper, he was the WCW World Champion, and that could have made this matchup and even elevate the title a bit. But he instead, wasn't the champion. <laughs> it, just, it was just weird. It's just like what what the hell is going on? Um, it is what it is. Uh, they came out. They beat down. They beat down each other. Uh, they both escaped the cage. Uh, I said Brock and Roman logic because both men left at the same time? Question mark? Oh, no. I, because, because they both left the cage at the same time, I guess. So that's why nobody was declared a winner during that deal. So I was like, okay, whatever. Um, we see... We see you know, Hogan and Piper fighting in the cage. We see a fake sting appear. Then we see another sting appear. We see more stings just appearing all around the arena for reasons. But this is probably something that, you know, is more for the mind games on Hogan, which set up their matchup at Starcade later on. So I guess it makes sense. Um, I will say this. The fact that there was no referee in that ring, it kind of made for a better matchup for the first part of it because there is no stupid... They literally, it's one of those situations where you don't have a referee yelling at them, you don't have a referee screaming at them to do this and blah, blah, blah. They literally said, you know, there's no referee inside, so they literally could do whatever they want to each other. It's like, yeah, they can, and I kind of like it. Can we actually have that first part of the matchup? Just, you know, these two guys, just literally no referee, just let them go crazy. Second part, maybe throw the referee in there if need be. That's just my opinion on it. Um, Hogan hits two of his leg drops on Piper, and Piper kicks out. Probably one of the few times where it's like, oh, hey, the Hogan leg drop doesn't really matter as a finisher anymore. Um, we get that, oh, God. That scary Macho Man savage spot. How did he not break his... This was like... I think that this was the top scary moment next to Jericho's uh, the Frankenstein deal because while yes, you know, neck injuries are never, you know, are are never something to joke about or even to talk about because it's very cringeworthy most of the time. But with Macho Man, he jumped from the top of the cage to the ring and it literally looked like his leg should have exploded. But that's not what happened because. What? Because I, I just didn't understand this. I literally just see him go in. He dives down. I think he missed Flair. And he was still able to get up. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the absolute hell are you able to do that? That makes no sense. I don't know if maybe there was like a, he hits a soft spot in the ring. Or maybe you know there was something there to help cushion the fall or something. I don't know. But it was just he really... He stuck the landing. He did, but it was really scary just seeing that. Uh, Piper would hit, would lock in the sleeper hold. Hogan would submit. And Piper wins, but does he really? Because he then gets cuffed onto the, uh, onto, onto the, uh, onto the cage. Gets beaten down by Hogan and by Savage. And then WCW does something that I didn't think they would ever do. They took a camera. They focused on a fan who was climbing up the cage. 
and then he climbed down inside the cage. And what we witnessed next was why you do not do this shit. Because it kind of looked like he was going to go help uh, Piper, but nope. Instead, he got the ever-living piss beat out of him by Hogan and Savage. They literally would not let they would not let him leave the ring until he basically learned his lesson. He's wearing the Sting face paint, but that didn't matter. It probably even added more depth to the story, actually. Where he's like, hey, Sting guys, they could be everywhere, so we're going to beat this guy up. And literally, again, we just see him getting beaten down, beaten down, beaten down, and Hogan and Savage just do not care. To the point where the guy, his shirt was gone. He literally looked like he was just spaghetti noodles. And Hogan and Savage are just literally trying to get, like, one more lick at him. It's kind of just like, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. I want to keep going. I don't care. I don't care. Just try to kill this guy. I mean, I get it. You want him to learn his lesson, but don't kill him. At least give him a reason to go. At least give him time to go back and warm everybody else. And then you can kill him. That's just me. Uh, Match itself, uh, like I said... Sudden death match should have been the main event. I think that this title, that the title would have been more prestigious had it been on the line. But that's just me. It's neither here or there. It was there. It was what it was. I mean, Piper and Hogan were not exactly spring chickens, so you kind of have to work with what you got. And that's kind of really all I could say about this matchup. I don't know. Did you? enjoy this match a bit more, or were you kind of on the same boat as me? I liked it. It's, it's because, like, I'm a, a big Pepper fan. Like, long long live the hot. This was a, a rematch from Stark in 1986. Uh, Piper, what I thought was funny. Uh, the two men escape, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's a double DQ. This match is over. And then here comes Sting. I'm seeing a double. Four stings. Oh, more stings. More stings. And every time I see Michael Buffer, I just say, oh, let's get ready to suck it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, this whole, every all these stings coming around, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the children of the corn. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> oh, references. Yeah. We got them. Piper, the first guy since Sid Justice to kick out of the Hogan leg drop, only because Papa Shumpwisted Q at WrestleMania 8. Uh, and Dutch, double axe head off of this cage, just flying into, into view. Yeah, like how he's not. My, my knees will buckle if I, like, step off my step ladder in, in my kitchen. If I'm going to the top sh- top shelf to get a cup, and I and I come off that, yeah, my knees will buckle doing that. So I can imagine how his legs didn't explode. And this, and I gotta look at him. And I swear it was David Flair. It was a plan, obviously, but I'm looking like this guy looks like David Flair, scrawny like him. He's got the short hair. Like if it's not him. I'll be- I mean, honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's re- it's really weird how. Yeah, uh, I, 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 uh, jeez, I lost my train of thought. Um, it's crazy when you think about like all these little 
you know, all these little plants and all these people that play these characters. It's like, oh, hey, this looks like this person. This looks like this person. And then you realize, oh shit, it is them. <laughs> I I think I think I always love whenever uh, I'm watching like security guards, and if it's somebody who's a local talent from here in Wisconsin, I will always freak out and be like, oh my god, it's T Dub Three, or oh my god, it's Joey Apple, oh my god, it's this person, it's this person, and it's just great. Nathan Gust. It's Nathan Gust. It's raging Nathan Gust. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, why why is that guy not put on TV? He'd make the greatest twenty four seven champion of all time. So, hashtag tw- Nathan Gus for 24-7 champion. Um, oh, gosh, that'd be amazing. But, yeah, overall, this event was so much better than the year after when we would have 898. We'd have that dumpster fire of a matchup because, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this was definitely one of those matches where it definitely showcased uh, DDP slowly starting to grow out as a megastar. Uh, a couple months later, he would actually win the WCW uh, United States title from Kurt Henning. So we see that. Uh, a couple months later, we would also have the match between Hogan and Sting, where Bret Hart got involved, even though it seemed like some creative differences or some shit like that. Just It was a really weird time. Um, we also had, as you mentioned before, you know Larry Zabisco versus Eric Bischoff for control of WCW, I believe it was. And hey, my boy Larry won. Yes! So I can't really be mad about that. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting time. This is where I think WCW went from like burning hot to starting to get into the lukewarm part of their career because I think around this time is where things started you know falling apart. Things started getting a little bit weird. Uh, I think a little later on was when they had that whole deal with um, what was it like the the split between. Hollywood and Wolfpack and stuff like that. So it's kind of one of those things where, like Adam Blompier said, you know, at that point you just need to realize that your idea has just died. So you need to just accept it. Um, but yeah, I think that it does come to a point where it's like, okay, need to need to really focus on you know what matters, and that's the big payoff. Even though Hogan was the guy that you know was that everybody hated. It really sucked when he was on top as the top. Oh, gosh. That might be something we'll have to discuss. Which Reign of Terror was worse? The Hogan Terror or the Triple H Terror? Hogan. Oh, man. Boy, I'm going to I'm gonna have to start looking into, like, pay-per-view matches and stuff like that. Maybe look at, like, Hogan's Terror and WCW. Uh, but that's for another time. So, with that, we're going to end this Halloween-themed episode. I guess we can call it, with the fact that, hey, you might have gotten your spooks on, but just remember that the year is almost over, and that is the scariest thing of all. So, you can always follow us on Twitter, at the legendary JF at Real Effin Game, or also on Attic underscore Wrestle, where you can check out all the great people of Gifted Podcast, Kings of the Ring, Fourth Wall Wrestlecast, and Nacho Mama Soap Opera Podcast. Check us out on our Patreon to check out all the amazing content that we have, uh, guys, if you live up here in the Wisconsin area, next weekend we have a Frontline show happening in Stevens Point, where it is going to be an absolutely fantastic show. Uh, special guest stars include Swoggle and Mr. Anderson. Anderson! And it's going to be an absolutely fun show. Proudly we're sponsoring that show. It's going to be great. There's going to be a lot of great moments in there, and I'll tell you this right now. 
you are definitely not going to want to miss while the Game Changer podcast is going to be a part of this show. Also, like we said, the end of the year is going to have our year-end Gamey Awards, where we will definitely be talking about the highs and the lows of the entire year, as far as wrestling goes. We will also be listening into the Wrestle Hub Awards, which will be taking place on December 8th. Definitely check that out, you guys. And we're looking forward to seeing what the Master of Ceremonies, our host, our good friend, Mr. Ant, has in store for us in the following weeks to the build-up to this. Uh, it's going to be an absolutely crazy way to end the year. So for Mr. Fretz, I've been Nate the Epping Great. You've been listening to the Game Changer Podcast here on Wrestle Attic Radio, part of so many great podcasting forums. We will talk to you guys in the next episode. And just remember, you can change the, you can always be a game changer. Always do it one day at a time. Have a good one, you guys. We'll talk to you later. Finding the right pros for home projects can be tough and spark a lot of questions like, how do I find a pro who can help? Will they do a good job? Will I get a fair price? That's where HomeAdvisor can help. From leaky faucets to major remodels, HomeAdvisor connects you to the right pro for the job in seconds and even helps you get a fair price. Read reviews, check project cost guides, and book appointments. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free HomeAdvisor app to start your next project. Hey, I'm Robbie. And I'm Brett. And I'm Dave, baby. And we work with the great people at the Buffalo Bayou Partnership to protect and maintain the waterways in our community. That's right, we do. At American Family Insurance, we know that with the right support and the right team, any dream is possible. Like our dream to have cleaner waterways in our hometown. Every dream deserves a champion. Find your dream champion at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.